Hi, everyone. This is Liam Deckel with the Student Screen Learning Podcast. Today, we're here with writer, director, and professor Paul Shitlick. Hi, Paul. Thanks for coming on the show today. Thanks, Liam. Pleasure to be here. So let's dive right in. At what age yeah. did you get into writing and film, and what made you do so? <laughs> That's a good question, because I, I didn't get into writing until after I graduated from college. When I was in college, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And it wasn't until I graduated that, and my father said, so what are you going to do? I said, I think I want to be a writer professor. And so I started to write novels and poetry. I moved overseas and lived in Spain for a year mm -hmm. where I started uh, writing poetry. That's my first published work is in Spanish. Uh, then I moved to London. I lived there for four years. And I was still thinking about writing novels. I started writing mm -hmm. short stories and novels. I worked as a translator and as a journalist, um, but I didn't start writing for television to, for many years later. I had kind of an interim career when I came back to the States after living abroad for five years. Um, I got a job as a translator again, because I, I spoke uh, fluent Spanish at the time. I still do, but uh, I was even better at the time. Uh, but I wasn't making very much money as a translator, so I took a job teaching English as a second language. And before you knew it, I was in a career, uh, eventually becoming the assistant director of the Indo-Chinese Refugee Assistance Program yeah. at Long Beach City College. And I had, I had 18 instructors uh, working with me, 45 student aides. And one day, one of my instructors was ill. And so I was substituting, and I was standing at the blackboard. And suddenly a little voice in my head said, this is not the plan. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, you're right. I didn't plan to do this. Yeah. I wanted to be a writer and this is not writing. Although I had been, made some uh, valuable contributions to the teaching of English to people who did not have a written language in their own language. And they had spoken language, but no written language. Uh, so it was a very unusual population, but at any rate, I decided to look into writing again. And I did some research and found out that novelists at the time, this was in the 80s, yeah. uh, early to mid 80s, novelists at the time made about an average of $850 a year. And I thought, well, that's not gonna work. Uh, so I, I researched and what does a television writer make? And I thought, oh, okay, that looks good. So I took a couple of classes at UCLA Extension on writing for television. And I walked out of one and said, I want to be a writer producer in television. So I saved up some money, quit my job, which was probably a silly thing to do, but I did. And it took me two years to get a job in writing, but I did. Uh, and I started writing for a television program, which is was defunct after its first season called Guilty or Innocent, which yeah. was a kind of a reality, um, reenactment courtroom drama. Yeah, uh, let's go back to the beginning. You said that you only started writing uh, uh, once you were older, but I, I saw that you wrote and directed your first play when you were 11. Is that true? That is true. Uh, <laughs> but it that was the last thing I wrote for many, many years. Uh, yeah. It was, yeah, uh, my group in my sixth grade class was charged with doing a presentation about 
cave, living in a cave, caveman times. Yeah. And so I took charge of that group and I said, all right, here's what we're going to do. And, and basically wrote the sketch and we did this sketch and we did a reenactment of what it was like to live in a cave as if I knew anything about that. Right? <laughs> I really knew nothing about that. So it really was a work of fiction. Yeah. Uh, so I see that you studied comparative lit literature at multiple universities around the world. Uh, you were in UCB, University of Madrid. Uh, do you think this helped you start your career? Uh, do you think studying screenwriting would have helped you more? Well, I studied comparative literature at UC Berkeley. And um, what I did in Spain was also Spanish literature. And then I studied in graduate school at UCSD mm -hmm. and UCB, UC Berkeley. Um, I now wish that I had studied screenwriting at that time and gone directly into screenwriting because I had uh, oh, guess about a 15 year delay into getting yeah. into the screenwriting. And I, had I started earlier, I would have had a longer career. As it turns out um, in screenwriting, uh, I faked it until I made it yeah. because most people start much younger than I did. Mm -hmm. I just made people believe that I had started earlier. Uh, it was a little difficult getting into it uh, in my mid thirties. Uh, once I was into it, I thought, oh, I wish I had started much earlier than this. Mm -hmm. And also, I also wish that, that I had focused on one specific genre or yeah. one specific area of uh, writing, either screenwriting for uh, films or screenwriting for television. My agent always used to say, you, you like to do science fiction and, and children's movies and nonfiction stuff and documentaries. I wish I could sell you better. I would be able to sell you better if number one, you were younger. And number two, if you focused on one particular genre. I said, mm -hmm. well, I'm never gonna be younger. And I like writing in too many different things, too many different areas to wanna to focus on one. As it turns out, I mostly wrote uh, drama, mostly wrote science fiction, and I'm still doing science fiction right now. Mm -hmm. Do you think that studying screenwriting in college helps you more to learn how to screenwrite or does it help you just build connections? I would say the answer is yes. <laughs> it helps you both to do, to do both. It really helps if you know how to make a story before you start making stories professionally. Yeah. So it helps to know the format. It helps to know what is a story, how to define a story, how to approach a story, how to approach the characters that are in that story. And you can get that much faster if you study it in college than if you try to do it on your own. And then it's, if you go to a, a graduate school in screenwriting or even an undergraduate school like ours at Loyola Marymount University, you get the opportunity to, first of all, create a, a, a group of writers that you are friends with that one day maybe may be able to help you get a job or you may be able to help them get a job. And also the university helps you introduce into the screenwriting world by giving you mentorships, uh, enabling internships, and introducing you to people in the industry. And it, it's an industry like all industries. It's a very small world. There are only 8,500 members of the Writers Guild West. Um, we know, most of us know maybe 100 or 200 people. That's how you get your work. And so yeah. the, the way you get your work is by um, networking as much as possible. And starting off with a Writers Guild job uh, is a big help, but also 
places like UCLA, Loyola Marymount, uh, USC, Chapman University, they all have deals with the Writers Guild so that their graduate students, when they graduate, get it, uh, a temporary honorary membership. I'm not sure what they call it exactly in the Writers Guild. And that helps you network and get jobs. Well, I, did, I didn't know that. Yeah, um, it's true. And it's not widely publicized, but it should be because yeah. it's an important factor. Mm -hmm. So after you got uh, a PhD, you moved back to Madrid. Uh, here, you published your first piece of writing, which is a Spanish poem. Um, you know, what, what was that like? And what, what was it like publishing something in someplace other than your home country? Well, let me correct you at first. I dropped out of graduate school. Mm. Uh, I didn't get a PhD. I dropped out of graduate school when I asked the, the head of the department if instead of writing a dissertation, I could write a novel that incorporated everything that I'd learned about literature. And they said no. Mm. So I said, well, then I'm leaving. Yeah. Uh, because I didn't want to write, I didn't want to research something about uh, Shakespeare's second folio and the difference between that and the first <laughs> folio. It's just like too ridiculous. So yeah. um, I went out on my own. That's when I moved back to Spain and I started writing. Now, one of my teachers, when I had been there as an undergraduate in my junior year, and I spent a full year there studying Spanish literature under the auspices of, of the University of California and the University of Madrid, the Complutense University. Um, one of my teachers was a relatively well-known Spanish poet. And I showed him some things that I'd written in Spanish. When you live there and you work there and every day is in Spanish, your interior monologue converts to Spanish. And so the, everything that you're thinking is in Spanish. Yeah. And so when I was thinking of, of poetry, it came out in Spanish. I couldn't help it. That's what happened. Yeah. It just, just did. So I showed it to him and he said, oh, I'm going to put this in uh, Poesia Española, which was the big uh, Spanish poetry review magazine. And that's what he did. Uh, I also met when I was in graduate school at UCSD, uh, Juan Goytisolo, uh, who was one of the most famous Spanish novelists of the time. He became my first Spanish mentor, uh, my first writing mentor. He was a novelist. And we spent a lot of time together. My office was next to his office. I was a teaching assistant, uh, but he had his own office. And uh, we had a lot of lunches and dinners together. And he mentored me and it was really a big help. Yeah. Uh, put me on the road to, to writing. Actually, I was writing novels at the time, but um, and I'm writing a novel right now, as a matter of fact. But yeah, uh, it's not a bad idea to go back and forth. And a lot of writers have done that, like William Goldman. Mm -hmm. So this is connected. Um, do you think it's still possible to pursue a career in film and writing, even when you don't live in America? Well, it is possible, but it's more difficult. It depends on what country you're living in. If you're living yeah. in, let's say you're Swedish and you're living in Sweden, I think it's very possible. They have an open industry and, and a very vibrant industry. Mm -hmm. um, where are you living, Liam? I'm living in Switzerland right now. Switzerland, okay. I've had uh, Swiss students, as a matter of fact. Wow. Uh, Switzerland doesn't have a very big television community, but uh, your English is very good. You could certainly write in English. Oh, I'm, I'm I'm American. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, and that would help. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you, you speak French or German? Uh, I know a bit. Uh, I know Hebrew, though. Uh, Hebrew. Yeah. Uh, that's interesting. Um, 
Well, the Israelis have a fantastic television industry. Yeah. I don't know if you know about that, but so many uh, new programs coming out of there have been adapted to American television. It's very vibrant um, yeah. television community. If you write Hebrew, that would be really great. Mm -hmm. uh, if you don't, it's harder to make a, a dent living in Sweden. I mean, in Switzerland, but it's possible. Uh, these days, so much business is conducted over the internet. Certainly since COVID, uh, people are doing all their meetings in Zoom or in uh, FaceTime. So it is all possible, but it is certainly easier to do if you're in Los Angeles or New York or yeah. London or Tel Aviv, for mm -hmm. that matter, or Jerusalem. Yeah. So uh, after a year, uh, so a year after publishing your, your poem, you began taking small jobs uh, all around London. You moved to London uh, and mm -hmm. then you managed to find steady work as a journalist. Um, and your right. workers came kind of successful. Did you enjoy working as a journalist? I did. Um, you know, the first jobs I had in London were working in a deli as a, a stock boy. Then I worked in a bakery as an assistant. Mm -hmm. uh, then I cleaned houses. Then I painted houses. Then I started uh, consulting with a major publisher there. Yeah. And I was their reader for Spanish novels that they wanted to possibly publish in English. And then I got a job as a journalist. And that's the job that I enjoyed the most. Um, I was able to go out and uh, cover certain events and press conferences and then write those up and then either um, edit them or uh, just hand them over to the editor to be edited. A very small uh, news organization called the Jewish Telegraphic Agency, yeah. which is kind of a Jewish Reuters. Mm -hmm. uh, and so my writing was published all around the world uh, at that time. And they're very short articles for the most part, but I also wrote for some newspapers in London and a magazine in, uh, in Israel and another one in uh, Madrid, published some uh, photographs at that time as well. Mm -hmm. And so I had a background in that. And when I came to the States, one of my first freelance jobs was writing for magazines wow. and, and newspapers. So I've written for the LA Times uh, I wrote for the Herald Examiner, which was a newspaper at LA at, at that time. It's since gone out of business. I've written for many magazines, uh, a lot of articles for the Writers Guild Journal, which is called Written By. Uh, and you can see them if you go to the writersguild.org um, and you can look up the, uh, Written By and see my, art, my articles there. Uh, so I continue to write for them and for other places. Uh, it's an opportunity to get an idea and express that idea just right off the top of my head instead yeah. of having to plan for a very long time and mm -hmm. look for a buyer. I just present an idea to a publisher or a newspaper editor or magazine editor and they say yes or no and away I go. Yeah, so uh, what, do you think, what do you think is different between writing a fictional story and, and writing nonfiction for an, as an article? Well, that's a very interesting question because it really depends on what your aim is writing the nonfiction. Mm -hmm. uh, my aim generally is usually to educate in writing the nonfiction. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's why I've written a lot of stuff about writers with disabilities. But mm -hmm. I also wrote for the Herald Examiner about bicycling and bicycle paths in Los Angeles. My aim was to get people on bicycles. So that's something you can do in nonfiction. And I like to do nonfiction with a purpose. Mm -hmm. I also wrote nonfiction for the LA Times about 
movies, and I also wrote about uh, social security number as a national identification number. And that was to scare people and to be careful with their social security numbers. Mm -hmm. I, I, I like to have a purpose in my writing. Yeah. And I do have a purpose in my writing fiction as well. Uh, I, it's not necessarily to educate, but it is to kind of open people's minds to other ways of thinking, mm -hmm. which is why I like to include somebody with a disability in just about everything I write yeah. so that people with disabilities can be seen and heard. And I write uh, about love, uh, all kinds of love, because I think people need to think about that and need to do that as much as possible. Uh, love thy neighbor, love thyself, love thy spouse, love thy mm -hmm. son and daughter, love thy relatives, love thy friends. Uh, I read a lot about that and how that looks. And I also read a lot about gender. Mm -hmm. um, what is gender? As a matter of fact, I taught a class last year at Loyola Marymount, uh, gender fluidity in Shakespeare, because there's a tremendous amount of gender fluidity in Shakespeare. And my students were just hungry to have that kind of class yeah. uh, because they are dealing with their own gender issues. I had transgender people in my class. I had people that were uh, non-binary in my class. I had all kinds of people to talk to. And it's fascinating to me, what does gender mean? So I read a lot about that. Mm -hmm. um, I'm pretty secure with my own gender, but I'm just fascinated by what it all means. And what is the difference between people that are male, female, non-binary? How do you define being a man? How do you define being a woman? How, is the, how are they different? How are they the same? Mm -hmm. So I like to write about themes and that's one of my major themes. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, so before starting your screenwriting career, you lived around the world and you worked odd jobs. Uh, do you think this helped your storytelling having all these cultural experiences? Oh, I think it's invaluable to understand how other people think yeah. and how other people live. I mean, if, as a white American, I have a central um, way of looking at things. Mm -hmm. uh, when I went over to Madrid for the first time as a 19-year-old, I, I thought, oh, the world is not centered on the United States. There are other parts of the world and other ways to look at things. Yeah. And it was the first time I learned that the news wasn't always about the United States. And I learned that there were different ways of living. I mean, I learned how to take a nap after lunch. It's a small thing, but it's a big yeah. thing in another way. I learned how to um, have a snack at seven o'clock and my dinner at nine or 10 o'clock at night, uh, because that's the way the Spanish people live. And they live more on the street and in bars and things like that. And they, and they talk a lot and they talk with each other and they, they make solid friends. And it's a very different way of life and way mm -hmm. of looking at things. And when you learn another language, you learn another way of thinking. You learn another way to organize your thoughts. And that has been incredibly valuable. Yeah. Um, not least of which it gave me a skill that I was able to use teaching in uh, Cuba, teaching in Venezuela, teaching in Chile. Um, but I've also taught in Australia and wow. Italy and Spain uh, and London. I mean, I've taught in France. Um, and each of those experiences opens me up. Every time I go to Italy, I've been to Italy, I don't know, half a dozen times, been to Spain at least a half a dozen times and lived there for two years. Mm -hmm. so each time I go, I learn something new and, and a new approach and um, just opens my mind. And I think the more you are open to new ideas, new people, 
new ways of living, new ways of thinking, the better writer you're going to be, the more universal you will, you will be. Yeah. Wow. So uh, we, we finally get, got to your screenwriting career. So right now it's 1984. So <laughs> now you began writing for television, uh, such as uh, NBC's Amen and The Twilight Zone for PBS. So mm -hmm. can you tell us how you got these jobs? Sure. Well, first of all, before that, I was writing Guilty or Innocent for syndication. Mm -hmm. And then I, I was working with my agent who said, and a partner, I was writing with a partner at the time. My agent said, you need to write a spec script. Choose a, a show that you think would be a really good idea. Uh, and my agent's assistant said, well, my husband, uh, Joel Zwick, who uh, eventually directed my big fat Greek wedding and uh, at least 50 pilots for television and literally hundreds and hundreds of sitcoms. Uh, he said, I'm working on a new thing called Perfect Strangers. We just did the pilot, got a pickup for 13. You should write a spec script for that. So we did. And my agent showed it to the people that work on Brothers, which is a Showtime show. And they said, well, come on in and pitch a story for, for uh, this show. And we went in, pitched the story. Uh, and by that time, we had uh, already done a, a story for the Twilight Zone, for the CBS version of Twilight Zone. Uh, that Monday, we got home from pitching the story at... Uh, brothers and they gave us the the job right then and there to to write a script we we had an answering machine at the time I, at the answering machine had a message from the twilight zone people said we need to have the script by friday the brothers people said we need to have the script by friday so my partner and i wrote like crazy for the week and that's how we got the job as uh, staff writers on brothers and the twilight zone uh, episode they shot that and they said, uh, we want you to do another story. And we did another story. And then they said, uh, unfortunately, we don't know if we're picked up yet. So mm -hmm. uh, we're going to have to put that aside. And they did not get picked up for the next year. Mm -hmm. But then we went on. Uh, when we finished at Brothers, we did some writing for syndication. Amen. Uh, Perfect Strangers again. Uh, and um, Small Wonder. And while we were working for Small Wonder, um, we noticed that Twilight Zone had been picked up for syndication and they were going to add 30 episodes to the package that they had done over at CBS. They had done 60 some episodes, so they needed 100 to uh, syndicate. So I called up the executive producer out of the blue. Wait, uh, could you explain what syndication is? Uh, syndication is when they sell it to individual television stations across the country oh, instead okay. of to the network. Mm -hmm. So I called up the uh, executive producer. I don't know how I got his number, but I did. Uh, and, I, and I said, uh, we wrote Aquavita for um, Twilight Zone, and we'd like to work on the show. And he said, well, that's one of the only episodes I thought had a good story. <laughs> and so he called us in. We had a long talk, and we he hired us on as uh, producers. But unfortunately, um, it was Canadian content where they, they were going to shoot in Canada. So they couldn't have a, an American producer. So we got uh, downgraded to story editors, which was just fine. We determined all the stories that got in, wrote a half a dozen episodes for it. Mm -hmm. And really, really uh, had a great time doing that. That's when you could think of something, you could dream of something and make it happen the next day. Mm -hmm. uh, so I see you worked a lot with a writing partner, Jeremy Finch. Uh, you guys worked on a bunch of shows together. 
And so do, do you think it's beneficial to have a writing partner or do you think everybody works differently? Well, you hit it. <laughs> you hit two things at the same time. Yes, it's beneficial to work with a writing partner, especially if you're doing comedy, oh, because you don't yeah, know yeah. if it's if something is funny unless both of you laugh at it. Mm -hmm. uh, I prefer to write on my own, but I have written with partners uh, and several different partners, just friends or actually some former students who have an idea and say, I want to expand this idea. What do you think about it? And I said, I think it's great. And they say, well, would you like to work with me on it? And I'd say, sure. Okay, mm -hmm. sure. So I've done that with a couple of partners uh, and that's been a very good experience. The project that we're going out with now uh, I wrote with one of my student, former students at UCLA, who's since become uh, a friend and a partner. Mm -hmm. And uh, we think that we're looking forward to selling that it's science fiction. Uh, and he's got a great science fiction mind. So it's really uh, very, very good yeah. writing with a partner. You get instant feedback. Oh, that's good. Oh, that doesn't work. Uh, oh, we could do this. How about if we do that? There's a lot of bouncing back and forth of ideas. So it's very stimulating and it, and it really makes you think fast. And that's yeah. a good thing. Mm -hmm. So um, uh, so I, I see that after you worked on TV shows, uh, you wrote and produced the first network movie, Alien Abduction. Is that right? Mm -hmm. The first network that's movie? That's correct. So, well, it was the first network movie made on digital tape. Mm. Uh, yeah, and we did, and it was also the first movie that was made uh, as found footage. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody thinks Blair yeah. Witch was the first found footage. No, we this was predates Blair Witch. But when was and, Alien Abduction released? Pardon me. But when was Alien Abduction released? It was released in January 1988. No, oh, wow. 98. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it was on UPN, which was one of the uh, U.S. networks at the time since folded into the CW. Mm -hmm. And uh, we shot it up in Canada and we shot it to look like, well, and we actually we shot it completely in uh, sequence in one take. What? No, wait, one take. Yes, one take. How, how but we shot it five times in one take. So w w over a period of five days, we shot mm -hmm. complete episode, the complete show in one take without stopping the tape. Wow. Uh, how how long was how long was the movie? An hour and a half. Oh my so god! So it played for two hours on the on television because of commercials, mm -hmm. but it was an hour and a half. Wow! So uh, what was it like working in this new medium? That being a digital network movie. It was. It was freedom, mm -hmm. because you could do whatever you wanted to do. You didn't have to stop if if the action was going well. I mean, we, we planned it this way, so it, it worked perfectly. Once we knew what the medium could do, we said, we're going to shoot something in one take and see how that works. Yeah. And it was really liberating. You could just have a scene go as long as you wanted it to go. You didn't mm -hmm. have to cut. You didn't have to uh, edit at the time. We did a little bit of editing later on, but uh, we made it look like it was shot all in one take. And it was, but we cut together a couple of takes to make it look uh, a little bit smoother. Uh, it, it's a great thing to be able to do that. You, you don't have to stop and change the camera. You, you don't have to reload the film. Uh, even in video, you don't have to reload the video. Nowadays, it's, it's taken for granted that you can do that. I mean, I mm -hmm. shot a movie a few years ago called, 
um, the wedding dress. And yeah. I would shoot takes sometimes uh, 10 minutes long, 15 minutes long. Mm -hmm. Now I've cut them down, uh, but I, I didn't want to stop if the actors were in the moment and everything was going well. I didn't want to say cut. Yeah. Why would I do that? Mm -hmm. So I had the opportunity to shoot as long or as short as I wanted to do. And then it's a miracle what you can do now with um, editing because mm -hmm. you don't have to, you can, uh, what do they call it now? I'm sorry, I'm forgetting the word for it, but um, you can cut it any way you want to cut it. You don't have to have, it doesn't have to be in order. So uh, it's so much easier now with video than it used to be with film. Mm -hmm. Now, people used to complain about the look, but you can make things look the, as smooth and as rich in video now yeah. as you can in film. As a matter of fact, most directors now prefer video and use video. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so should we go on to some craft questions now? Sure. Uh, so well, what's your advice for a high schooler or a college student who wants to get into the industry? So what's the best way to get your work seen? Well, the best way to, to get your work seen is to start making short films and putting them up on YouTube, mm -hmm. creating your own YouTube channel yeah. or even TikTok. Yeah. Uh, but YouTube is better because you yeah. can go longer. Mm -hmm. uh, and you create your own channel and you just keep on creating and move, putting new stuff and new stuff and new stuff. Many series have come out of that. Yeah. And yeah. I, I would suggest anybody in high school can do it. I mean, you can shoot it on the small, you can shoot it on a, uh, a video camera mm -hmm. or you can even shoot it on a still camera that that could play video uh, or you can shoot it on your iphone yeah perfectly mm -hmm. fine for mm -hmm. uh video on on youtube and yeah. you can get your friends and and family to work in it and everybody has a good time and you put it up on youtube and if you start getting uh some likes and you start getting viewers and and you get subscrip subscribers you'll get noticed. Yeah. Now, the other way is uh, if you live in Los Angeles or New York or London, you go to events, uh, film events and television mm -hmm. events. Yeah. And you meet people. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Yeah. You, you go to like your local film festival. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, so, there was a there's a great one in London called Rain Dance. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I went to a couple of years ago. I was a judge at Rain Dance, and uh, it's fascinating. And I met so many people in the lobby, just mm -hmm. talking. Yeah, it was really great. You know, that's what they go there for—to talk mm -hmm. to people, to meet writers. You know, the producers go there to meet writers and directors. Mm -hmm. So just—you never know who's going to help you. You can talk to somebody that worked uh, on makeup or hair or wardrobe, excuse me, yeah. in a film. And you can talk to them about what they did in the film. And then you can say, well, you know, I've got a script that I'm very interested in, in showing to the director of that film. Can you help me? Mm -hmm. And they would do it. They will yeah. help you. Yeah. So well, what do you tell a writer that has writer's block? Or do you even believe in it? <laughs> Uh, well, it's not a matter of belief. I know people have a writer's block. Yeah. But at, as a working journalist, I had to finish my story by four o'clock p.m. every day, not 401, four o'clock, mm -hmm. because we had to turn it in over to the Reuters news service to transmit. So 
I, I couldn't have writer's block. I had to sit down and write. Now, what I suggest to my students and, and to my friends is every day when you're writing, leave off at a place where you know you can pick it up and write yourself a little note where, it, where it's supposed to pick up. And then the next day you can start right in again. You don't have to sit around and think about it. You don't have to clean the kitchen, uh, straighten your desk, uh, make your bed, uh, vacuum the, the living room. You don't have to do all that stuff to get going. You can just sit right down and write. Yeah. So what I always do is leave a little note at the end of my last writing as to where I'm going to go from there. And then I just go from there. Yeah. Um, usually when I'm writing film or television, I have a good outline. Right now I'm writing a novel that I've, strangely enough, uh, gone against my uh, technique of the last 40 years and I have not plotted it out. I'm just mm -hmm. kind of thinking it through at the end of every chapter. I do yeah. know exactly where I'm going, where I'm going to end up but uh, I don't know the in-between parts. Mm -hmm. And I surprise myself every day with what comes into my head. Uh, and I did it again today, I wrote this morning and uh, something happened on it. Oh, I think I'll do that, which mm -hmm. is interesting. Yeah. And so it's a fascinating process. There's no one way to do it, Liam. Mm -hmm. There's no one way to beat writer's block, but the easiest way is to stop before you're finished every day and just write a little note to yourself here's what i want to start on tomorrow that'll just make it easier yeah so you don't think you just go go for the flow is that i do go for the flow i'm doing that right now mm -hmm. um but you know i have, have experience of uh more than 40 years writing so uh it's a little bit of a cheat to be able to say oh i can just do it uh when you're just starting out you don't have the experience yeah, of that yeah. and, and you don't have all the tools that i have yeah so it's it's a good thing to outline what you're going to do and then uh, fill in follow the outline yeah and that gives you something to write every day yeah so as a professor of screenwriting at loyola marymount uh, what's the most common mistake you see your students make and how can they fix it <laughs> Uh, that's a good question. I also taught at UCLA, and as, mm -hmm. as I've said before, at universities around the world, um, the most common mistake is to not think through who each character is mm -hmm. and not to write a good bio, a good biography of each character and understanding what that character's motivations are, and especially two things, what the char character's flaw is their personality flaw, what they have to overcome in themselves and what their goal is. And so what they have to overcome in themselves to meet their goal. If the character doesn't have a flaw and doesn't have a goal, you don't have a story. Your, yeah. your character must be aiming towards some goal and there must be something inside of himself as well as something outside of himself that's preventing him from reaching that goal. So your job as a writer is to figure out what those two things are. Yeah. What is his flaw? Is he is he um, avaricious? Is he self-centered? Uh, is he shy? Is he too outgoing? Uh, is he uh, ignorant of certain things? What is it that's preventing him from reaching his goal? And what is his goal? Very specifically, what does he want to do? Mm -hmm. And then what does he realize he really needs to do? And once you figure out those things, you pretty much have uh, your pathway. And yeah. if you follow your pathway, you're going to get there. Mm -hmm. So you just told us the most common mistakes screenwriters make. Uh, 
but what and then now what's the best tip you would tell your students so they can improve their their screenplays i would say reading screenplays mm. read the go to movie that you like or, or uh, go to movies all the time go yeah. to as many movies watch as much television depending on what you want to do watch as much television or, or go to as many movies as you possibly can mm. then get the scripts for those movies and those television uh, shows and read them and see mm. how they're structured uh, and that will help you also there's a number of books out there that would really help uh, one is the writer's journey by chris vogler Mm -hmm. um, that will really help you as a writer to understand the kind of process and understand the mythic structure, uh, which is uh, a common structure that's used in Hollywood books. Um, I would also, I hate to say this, but I'm going to recommend my own book, which is called Rewrite. And that, that will help you understand structure in a more simple way and the seven points of every movie and how to get there and mm -hmm. how to develop a character and how to rewrite a script that you've already written. Mm -hmm. Maybe you've written a script, you're not happy with it, or maybe you're happy with it, you've shown it to somebody and they're not happy with it. You don't know what to do about it. They don't know how to give you notes on it. I mean, if you show it to your best friend, they'll say, yeah, yeah, I, I don't really get it. I don't know what to do mm -hmm. about it. Or you show it to your mom and she'll say, that's great, honey. Uh, but it's not really great because that really, really doesn't tell you what's good or what's yeah. not good in it. But rewrite will help you give an idea as to how to approach rewriting in a, in a very objective way. Yeah. Because one of the hardest things for a writer is to view their writing in an objective way, not a subjective way. Mm -hmm. uh, and writers view their own work in two ways. One is I hate it, it's terrible. Mm -hmm. And the other is I love it, this is the best thing I've ever done. And usually it's not one or the other. Mm -hmm. It's something somewhere in the middle and you have to fix it and as you fix it, you improve it. As you improve it, you improve yourself as a writer. The more you write, the better you write. Mm -hmm. uh, now, finally, um, you spent a lot of your life helping other people. You worked at many programs. You, you taught at tons of places. Uh, you worked at food banks. Um, so do you think this is like an essential part of you? Do you think it makes you more like, fulfilled or uh, do you think it makes you more fulfilled than writing uh, would you rather help people or would you rather write uh, i wouldn't separate those mm -hmm. i think that when i'm writing i'm helping people uh at least two at least one thing and that is entertaining them yeah another thing is opening their minds as i said earlier in, the, in our talk uh, i write to open people's minds and to entertain them yeah and so if I can do that, that's the same as helping people uh, eat. Yeah, I think it's yeah, very important yeah. to, you know, mind and body go together. If you're not well fed and, and healthy, you can't think and you can't enjoy life. Mm -hmm. So, and if you're not stimulated mentally, you're not going to enjoy life and your body's going to deteriorate. Yeah. So yeah. they're, they're hand in hand. They must mm -hmm. work together. Yeah. That's it's beautiful, Paul. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Uh, thank you for coming. It's been a pleasure. I love talking to uh, yeah. young writers. Uh, I wish I'd had people telling me about television and film when I was a young writer. I did have them talking to me about novels, which was very, very helpful. Yeah, yeah.
but I could have used more. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the more you get, the more you get, yeah. the more you do. Thank you for coming, Paul. If anyone wants to know more about Paul and his work, check out his Wikipedia page. And if you're interested, check out his book, Rewrite, a step-by-step -step guide to strengthen structure, characters, and drama in your screenplay. Thank you for listening to the Student Screenwriting Podcast. Thank you.